Welcome to the Few Podcast. Never in the field of human contact was so much owed by so many to so few. So you want to become one of the few. You can't skip steps. You have to put one foot in front of the other. Things take time. I have a dream. Have a dream. Hear inspiring stories from the few and learn about what it takes to turn your dreams into a reality. And it's a day for all Australians, isn't it? It's a day that brings us all together. Marvellous. Your hosts, Boo and Sean. All right, Sean, super excited to have Rich and Jeff here from the Beer Cartel, one of Australia's most innovative retail beer businesses. Not only these guys, the few in that they created something from nothing 10 years ago, they are also one of the few businesses right now that is thriving during COVID. 400% growth in their beer cartel business, 700% growth in the bouquet. I reckon there's so many lessons to be learned from these young and inspirational entrepreneurs. Absolutely. And welcome, guys. And I like you already because you brought free beer for us. And you can probably hear by the sound of it a couple of free beers that we can actually test as we go. Some Australian. This is the best uh, podcast Australian ever. Beers. already. That's right. Already. Best, best one already. So, uh, <laughs> welcome, guys. Great to have you on board. And obviously, Boo has a bit of context about your background and and I've done a little bit of research and stuff as well but for our benefit of our listeners maybe give us the slightly longer elevator version of you know where are you at now like where you started and why are you so passionate about where did beer? the love of beer yeah, come yeah, where, from where are you so passionate about uh, who doesn't have a love for beer really? <laughs> that's true okay. um, that's I an easy question my love started back in New Zealand circa 2003 so came out of university and the first project I well, first job I had out of university was for a uh, small craft brewery in New Zealand um, Having some, perfected beer consumption during university. Exactly. No <laughs> doing some market research for them and I got paid in beer. Um, wow. <laughs> and it was it was bloody good beer. So it made me see that there was so much more to the world than just your, your standard beers. Did you guys go to uni together? Is that when you crossed paths or how did you? No, so Jeff's a Novocastrian boy. Or from other countries. Yeah. <laughs> so Jeff. The Australian Newcastle, I would presume, not the, yeah, not yeah, the British one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, so my background, yes, yeah, so I worked with Richard for two or three years in market research. So we both were kind of market researchers. In beer cons- as well? or no, consumer, so FMCG and ser- uh, like services, so okay. banking, insurances and whatnot. Yeah. But my love of beer is probably from my heritage. So my lineage is from Belgium. Oh, right. Uh, so my dad still lives over in Belgium. Mum's, oh, wow. mum's here with us and spent a bit of time in Belgium in 2007. And uh, kind What's of- the best Belgian beer? It's quite hard for me. It's like if you get like a quadruple in terms of style, um, right. it's quite nice. Awesome. And um, there's a famous one made by West Flederin, Um and that's, uh, yeah, it's quite a nice beer. And yeah, it's very, very good. Awesome. Well, we can obviously go to thebeercartel.com.au and find out exactly what the best Belgian beers are. And so when did the magic happen, guys? So I think it was, yeah, Jeff had uh, just spent a couple of years um, touring the world, seeing Everything that you weren't in a band, see. were you, Jeff? Like everyone else in Newcastle? No, no. I literally had, um, I literally just had decided that I wanted to take a year to go and travel around the world. Did South America for six months, and then did, uh, oh sorry, three months, and then did the US for three months, and then ended up in in Europe. And the idea was to stay there for a couple of years, but that uh, was kind of short lived. I ended up being three months in the UK, and part of that was taking a visit to visit family I hadn't seen for about a decade. Wow. And one of my cousins, Martin, said, okay, you know what? I'm not going to go to work for two days. I'm going to take you to the back streets of Brussels and we're going to go drink some really, really good beers. And um, that's what we did for two days. Stayed in his little apartment that was uh, right in the center of Brussels and just really experienced just beer as as it kind of traditionally was. 
And prior to that, it was a to his extra dry drinker, Carlton Draft, some you know more mainstream. Great Aussie beers, exactly. Yeah. And, and they they do have their place, and it's interesting to see people go from that to say a James Squire, Little Creatures, and then kind of start their adventure into what craft beer can be. Do you, do you remember? There must have been a day. There must have been a conversation that started this whole. Yeah, exactly. Wheel in motion. There's got to be, yeah. be like a, there's got to be a hook. What's the hook? You What's tell the, the story. The, well. the click, the light switch moment. So. When I came back from overseas, I had a long list of different ideas of businesses. I'd always wanted to start my own business. An original business when I was nine years old, uh, taking delivering papers and stuff, and that gave me some pocket change. And so I think from a very young age, I always wanted to be, you know, have my own business, be an entrepreneur, whatever you want. Do you think want it's in the, it. in the blood? Yeah, I think Jeff, so. Do you if, think it's something that's just, what do you, Sean, record? Just is entrepreneurialism and, and wanting to own your own business something that's just in your DNA? I, I would say generally yes, because I don't think, anyone in their right mind is going to take that step to go from, you know, if they're particularly in a career or a job and then go, right, I'm going to jump off this cliff. I'm going to not have any potential to earn money for a period of time and work for a boss who's just a pain in the backside. And I have to look at them in the mirror every day. I think I make work harder than anyone ever has, pay me worse. And I'm probably going to have very good conditions. Well, not even so, paid anything. Yeah, I mean, when you mean. start your business, so, there's nothing, lucky. is there? It's like yeah. nothing. So, sorry. <laughs> How did the insanity start? Yeah, so... Or do you want to tell the rest of it in terms of... You're good. <laughs> so <laughs> You're basically, we were having a conversation. I was driving home from work and uh, Richard rang me up. He said, oh, I was thinking about your your kind of beer idea and how we could kind of do that and uh, linked but it in. But then the beer idea, was it formed in Belgium? Was it formed on the back streets of Brussels or was it something that had been fermenting? Uh, no. Uh, good. That was, it was good for that one that? too. That was yeah. great. It, it pretty much, yeah, that, that was one of the things is around about how do I get good beer when I come back to Australia? Because I had come back, couldn't find the beers that I was drinking over there. Just thought, right, well, either I start importing it myself, start getting it from distributors over here, whatever it might be. And from that, that kind of stemmed into having a chat with Richard, who previously had other businesses that he bought and sold. And I was like, okay, this guy is uh, reasonably switched on. We'd been working together. We talked about beer. And he said, oh, what do you think the equivalent of a Tupperware party is for men? And I was like, oh, I don't know, like a power tool party. Because <laughs> I'm quite into my DIY and I love tools and things Tim like. tool man, yeah. And um, and he said, "Oh, not really. I'm not sure wives would really like to have you know chainsaws and, and things being start, angle grinders started up in in the, in the living, living room." room. Yeah. But he said, "I have been thinking about your idea around beer, and one thing we could actually do is go to people's home and do kind of beer tastings in like a group setting, and then try and sell beer off the back of that. So instead of selling Tupperware, we're selling beer and possibly a subscription." kind of component to it we quickly found out that there was kind of two issues with that the first one was scalability so mm. if there's only two of us there's only seven nights a week that you can do kind of parties and, and i'd presume in australia hard to scale because of the regulation around liquor sales and you can't just do avon calling and have lots of random people selling beer on your behalf yeah in part there was a scalability of it there was a, how would we actually do it could you get enough people to kind of come along and then want to actually buy. So one thing is around events is like, are they there for the free beer? Yeah. And then are they actually going to buy it or are they just going to come to your next party and drink another lot of free beer? So there's that. And then the other component that we had is that we loved beer, but we had no kind of beer credibility. We weren't brewers. Yeah. Um, our other kind of, I guess, a fear at the time was what if we get in a room with a bunch of people that love beer that might be home brewers and they start asking quite technical questions and we're like, don't know. Yeah, we, we just don't actually know anything about it. Yeah, we just, we just like, like it. Like, yeah. like it. We just want to share that experience. Mm. And fundamentally, that was where it all kind of originated, was from a love of beer and wanting to share that with others. So from that evolved and we said, okay, well, we won't do the whole kind of beer party type planning. 
type thing, but we'll start and we'll- Beer we'll, parties we'll, are kind of pretty common, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we went from that to basically hiring a Kennard self-storage facility in Roselle. And the rest is history, as they say. We would do it, basically go down there over a weekend, pack our orders, our beer subscription service, that it's a monthly thing, and then get them picked up. And, and So initially, was it primarily just subscription as opposed to someone just ordering you know, a one-off? Was that kind of the concept of a scalable model? As you said, the other model wasn't scalable. Was that the difference that you thought, okay, well, maybe this is the scalable model? Like and it's an interesting question. I mean, when you started, did you have a business plan? We did we have did. a business plan. And it was a fair few pages, probably. Was it a good one? Uh, if I look back on it now. And is it, it the same plan you have today? It had some elements that were good. And I mean, we, there's some that were a sort of point of differentiation from us to other retailers. So we've always had a big focus on, on beer gifts. And that's always been something that we've been really strong in. And that's part of the reason why we've got our other business called Bruquets, which is a beer gifting business. But yeah, so we started, we had beer subscription and beer gifting business. At that time, there, was, there wasn't much beer, craft beer around in Australia. So I think there's probably about 20 different breweries. These days, there's 700 plus. Oh, wow. Um, wow. So it's just exploded. And we've kind of gone on. That The first few years were absolutely a, a tough slog. We didn't have a um, retail premises or anything, and we were just selling online. So... It was uh, really, really tough. Jeff was the uh, man that was sort of running the show while I was earning the money in the background. Did you feel like quitting during the first few years? Well, so in those, so it was basically 12 months in. So Richard kept his corporate job because we knew we had a business that we were passionate about and wanted to get started and share beers and whatnot. And that's a great idea. But if you haven't got some type of money coming in, then it's not going to work out for very long. So Richard kept his corporate job in the city, here in Sydney. I basically pulled out from having a deposit on an apartment up in Newcastle and used that to fund basically 18 months yep. um, worth. And that kind of got us kickstarted and, and Richard would put some some cash into the business. I'd basically be living off the savings that I had from pulling out the deposit of, of the apartment up in Newcastle. And that was it for about 18 months until we kind of went, right, funnily enough, while online we know it's going to be a big thing, Dan Murphy's weren't even online. So the big player in, in the market wasn't even there to drive the education of people mm. to know that you can actually buy alcohol yeah, yeah. online. So the perception of buying alcohol was kind of limited just to people going to wineries, signing up to a like a, a wine club and getting a monthly box of wine or every three months. Mm. Outside of that, people weren't going, oh, I want to get an awesome box of craft beers. Where do I go? Especially mm. for a case of beer. It's like you get a case of beer from your bottle shop. You don't necessarily get one sent through to you in the mail type yeah. thing. And, and I mean, you, you look at the, obviously the perceptions changed more recently about things being delivered yeah. and it's continued or had already, but it's sort of spiked a bit more, more recently. But the concept of yeah, getting things that you wouldn't normally have delivered. And as you said, it's an edu whole education piece. If people don't know that that's normal or that's how you can do it, you're now not only bringing in a, I guess, a new concept in the marketplace, but you're actually you're trying to sell to people who are completely uneducated about it as well. And as you said, there's 20 or something craft brewers at that point. So, yeah. I mean, the concept of craft beer, people probably didn't even know that expression. And that's the challenge, challenge right? Yeah. That's the challenge with innovation is yeah. if you're too innovative, yeah. you don't survive until people yeah. take it up, right? Oh, yeah. And we've done some stuff along the way that we've probably tried to push the boundary. So we, we did... Jeff ran like a um, virtual online tasting with a, a meet the brewer session. We sent packs out to people around the country and they could have a beer while Jeff was talking to the brewer and trying the beer. And we, we sort of Skyped that out. And that was three or four years ago. So that oh, was more than pre-Zoom, pre-Skype, pre-all that type stuff. 2011, 2012. Wow. <laughs> and wow. so that, I, think, I think just to hire the equipment at the time, 
it costs us the best because you had to get a webinar, like the go-to webinar was the only kind of platform yeah. you could use. And to get X amount of people, you had to pay for that. Then you had to get proper microphones. So mm. it was like, just to do it was a 400 or $500 expense to hire the equipment. Yep. And now you can just do things live from your mobile phone. Yep. So you guys, it's been an interesting journey for you because not only have you started your own business in a market that didn't really exist when you started, being the craft beer market, and you're a digital business. And you've also ridden the wave of whatever's been invented within the digital world. So really, you guys have been in a very disruptive space. And one of the questions that Sean and I like to ask is, do you guys consider yourselves a success? I'd like to say yes. I think we've done pretty well. Oh, over and that's a brilliant answer. And when you say yes, like what is it? How do you define it? Like what do you, when you look at each other and you look at yourselves, what is it about what you've done that makes you say, you know what? I feel successful. Yeah. Well, I think one thing for me is that it's over 10 years and we're still in business yeah. and we're still in business with the same people that started it. That's amazing. You know, so it? those two factors for me are like pretty damn important that you yeah. kind of go, right, we don't always see eye to eye, but we've got a way of kind of working out, well, what's the middle ground? What's the, the best thing for the business? And we've done that for 10 years. And the thing is, business is a relationship game. And I think people get in business often with partners and I've May or may not have made that mistake a few times. I think we may uh, all may or may not have made that <laughs> Getting mistake. into business with people because it's going to be amazing. Like this person can bring this value or it's going to, you know, it might be driven by the dollar and stuff. And then so we believe the once hype. a dickhead, always a dickhead. And it doesn't matter whether you're not their business partner or you are, but it just their true colors come out. You can't really help it. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's something that happens. It's something that you just go, oh, I've made the decision for the wrong reasons. I haven't made the decision because I actually align with this person because I yeah. respect this person because we're actually doing it from a joint passion, a joint place of you know, common interest in beer in this case, you know, and then going, well, we actually want to take that passion and share it. So I think that's obviously massive success for you guys because there aren't, you know, I suppose from a percentage of what I've seen in business, probably 80 plus percent of business owners that start a business together, if not more, probably 90 are not in business together after a couple of years. No, not ten years. It's, it's like a, it's like a it's like a it's a different type of marriage, right? So you, if you got if you're married, you know, the proper marriage sense, I suppose, or with a partner, or whatever, it's another one. You've got an yeah. and you've got to manage the relationship. You've got to make sure that you're not upsetting each other. You've got to make sure that you're respectful. And if someone's going through something, you've got to be supportive. So it's it's a key. It becomes a key part because your business is such a particularly in the early days, such an all encompassing beast. That you, it's almost like you're probably spending more time with them than with your partner or your wife. You know, I mean, it's such a thing that we've seen in in that journey oh, ourselves. And it's so, and other it's people. so telling that the first thing that you say, what makes you successful, is we still have the same people around us. Yeah, like that just highlights the right priorities. Yeah, if you're sitting there and saying, what makes you successful? I got six million dollars in the bank. I think that's a totally different type of success. Okay, so commitment, same people. What else? What is it about so, success? I think the staff that we have employed, so we're giving people jobs, I think. And it's the same people that we've had that stay with us year on year. So they're not around for just five months or, and then bugger off. Or and that's a testament to your relationship and how you show up as leaders in your business. Because if people stay there, yep. they're staying there because of you. Because yeah, if people are not there, they're not there because of you. They're you know, buying the into thing. it to what we're about. So... What about getting up in the morning? Getting up in the morning, you've got the energy. It's something that you well, feel when you've got uh, two kids under <laughs> under five. Um, yeah, okay, that's a, a little harder. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you do get up early. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. But yeah, you there's mouths to feed. Exactly, you get a bit sidetracked with uh, looking after them at the start. But um, yeah, I mean, so we've both got kids, two kids under five. It's been interesting if, if you talk about the ten years. We've 
gone through a lot of the same things very similar times getting married having kids houses type thing so it's been a real journey there does does it bring you together even more you think i mean having all those shared experiences outside of business as well i think it makes you understand where the other person's headspace is at so if if so when when you're falling asleep at the table After having a big night with the kids, you've got you've got a lot of empathy. Yeah, well, just, I, I'm pretty lucky in that regard. Yeah, I, I my think kids I don't might sleep. have done it. <laughs> the good thing is he doesn't brag about it, right? Yeah, so that's like, yeah. Except on a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I think yeah, knowing that that other person might be going through something either that you have been through or that you might go through yourself, it's kind of going right. That there's that understanding, and then there's just this complete realm of trust as well. So there's so at the moment, for example, right. With COVID-19, we've had to split our, our business in two in terms of two different teams. Richard heads up one team and I head up the other team. Yep. We have a, a one or 30-minute conversation a day yeah. and then a, a weekly kind of catch-up. And it's just kind of known that you trust the other person to be doing yep. what needs to be done to keep the wheels kind of turning. So, so if you guys are not in the business and you're somewhere together, whether you're traveling to come here or something, are you always talking about work? Or do you – like is, is, it, is it a – do you have a relationship that's built on business or do you think you have a relationship and a business with I, each other? I think it's changed a bit over time. So, yeah, I mean, when we very first started, it was pretty full on and we were seeing each other 24 hours a day almost. <laughs> it felt like that anyway. Now I think we've got so much else on in our lives with having kids and family and mm. stuff. We don't necessarily have that much time to get together mm-hmm. outside of work. And so work is often the sort of social place as much as anything, really. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Um, excellent. So let's, let's, I want to shift gears a little bit. There's a key question that we like to ask. It's around, you could call it failure, call it setback. Or what do you want to call it? Um, People don't like the word failure, do they? Yeah, no, like, it's oh, a, that, I don't we, want to put my hand up to a failure. We have to adjust the question. We have to adjust the question. Oh, no, but <laughs> it is I don't what call it, is. it favor, a failure. Sorry, I don't call it failure. And it's like, hang on, okay, okay. But the, but point, it the point of it is, it's, it's a failure. You, yeah. you haven't failed, but it's a failure of sorts or it's a setback or whatever. What would be in the time you guys have been in business together? What would be the biggest setback or failure, whatever you want to call it? And what have you subsequently learned from that following on impact from that? Do you want to take this one? Oh, they, they, they <laughs> both <laughs> pointed at each other. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to pass the ball to you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, damn it. No, I, for one of our biggest challenges was in 2018. So for our advent calendars, which is a very successful product for us at Christmas time. So it's you a, guys put out 25 beers. For, for everyone December. to enjoy every day instead yep. of chocolates. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a the, great idea. The advent calendar for yeah, for instead adults. of chocolates. Yep, yeah. for adults. Open the um the door and you get a surprise beer every single day. Yeah, nice. So we basically kicked off in about 2016 with these, and the first year I went to Rich and I said, okay, how about we do? I think we're going to do a thousand. And he said, oh, let's just scale it back and we'll just do try and get 10 cases of each of the beers. We'll do 240. That basically we blew past that in probably about seven days or something like that. Yep. So okay, so we had to keep getting stock in. The next year we said, okay, well let's let's up it because we had basically sold out and we, we did three thousand, yep. three and a half thousand, something along those lines. We thought, okay, we'd sold out of those same thing in two thousand seventeen. So for two thousand eighteen, we thought, okay, the market's hungry for these advert calendars. It's fantastic, and we'll up it again. So we tried to do seventy six hundred in that um, in that year in two thousand eighteen. Unfortunately, at the exact same time our one of our key competitors um, had upped their game in terms of the volumes that they were looking to do. And they were at a, a lower price point because that's in the space that they play. And basically, the market got flooded with advent calendars. There wasn't enough pull through for customers to actually purchase them. And so both they and us had an oversupply of advent calendars. They basically dropped their price 
within two weeks of, of launching and they like their price points were below cost. And you can't do much with an advent calendar when it's not Christmas, right? Exactly. So that was that was the challenge. So we we had to kind of try and, and mitigate the risk of getting stuck with a whole heap. And we ended up getting to six and a half thousand advent calendars, but that extra thousand that we had on hand, mm. once you get past the first of December, that's day one, that's start day. Yep. And then, you know, up to about the sixth, seventh, people are still willing to purchase and play a bit of catch up and have a couple of beers each day and then they get mm. um, onto the rolling of, of the days and opening the windows each day. Problem is, once you get past that, it's kind of no longer a, it's a themed kind of case. So yeah, yeah, that was probably our biggest challenge, our biggest learning in terms of, well, don't overcommit yourself. So it's a fine balance between being super conservative and then being way too ambitious. And if you're too ambitious, it can really burn you, Mm -hmm. especially in retail, right? So getting stuck with thousands of dollars worth of stock, you know, if it was widgets and it doesn't go out of date and it doesn't have a best before date and you can sell them next Christmas and you can hold on to it because they're quite cheap, fine. Mm. Um, and how did that feel? Like, how did you both feel when you knew that it wasn't going to well hit the mark? It was challenging because we could see it coming. We could see from even two weeks away before that sort of December one that we weren't going to hit it. And you do start to scramble and you try and think of different ideas and Jeff had quite a few, but... Yeah, it was still not getting there to, to move it all. And, and so the, the pressure comes on. And the pressure, I guess, for that lasted um, sort of six months down the track because we still had this all the stock that we're stuck with that we had to move. And we ended up having to move stuff at cost. So we're still selling product, but we're not making money from it mm. type of thing. And so you do, like we had a cracker of a year the year before, and then all of a sudden we've actually gone two steps back. Or five steps back. And how do you reconcile that? Do you, do you eventually get to the point which is, look, we're just going to suck one up here. We're just going to suck it up, take yeah, the hit. Yeah, I mean, move that, forward. That's that's what we had to do. We just uh, we planned it out and said, okay, this is going to be the tough period. We're going to have to work through this tough period and then hopefully go into the, sort of another Christmas and that. So Christmas is your big time in retail, so you always move lots. And then, then have success, which we did last year and it suddenly turned things around quite significantly. So in 10 years, how many times have you almost felt like throwing the towel in? And do you have enough fingers? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because this is the thing about owning and running a business. I mean, you guys are at that sustainable level now, right? Like you're ramped up, you've got some good volumes, you're living the dream as most people would see it. But even though you live in the dream, how many times have you thought... Oh, you, you still get have those days where you go home and you say, oh, I mean, it would be a shitload easier if I'm just working for someone. Yeah. yeah. Then, then that paycheck hits every, oh, exactly. every yeah. Exactly. Something <laughs> consistent. I don't have to worry about all these headaches. So it's not just headaches related to your sort of things. It's headaches across the whole business. So that there's a lot that you have to juggle and a lot that you'd sort of take on. I, I think for I, me, fun, just on that, for me, fundamentally, one of the things I, if you, if you want to be good at business, you've got to be a really good problem solver. Yeah. And if you're not, if you don't like problem solving, then don't, don't get into business. Under extreme <laughs> pressure. Well, yeah, because yeah. you're not just solving, you're solving the financial problems of your business, the stock problems of your business, your staffing problems of your business, like your customer problems and of your business. And you're identifying problems that don't even exist yet. You're exactly. trying to identify them in advance. Because yeah. yeah. 90% of the job, of your job, when you're, you own and operate your own business, yep. is problems, right? Yep. 
Like most of it is problems. There's, there's very few, you go to Instagram, you see the mega yachts, the, the Bugattis. <laughs> yeah, all that, that is not business, is it? It really is. You've it's got good to, for Instagram. Yeah, it's, it's good, good for Instagram, Instagram. But it's like running a marathon or being an athlete, running your own business. You've got to have that perverse pleasure that comes out of shit being tough. Don't you think? Yeah, well, that's one way of looking at it. But I think that the other way is going, do you like solving problems? So there's the tough stuff and that is problems if everything was smooth sailing then everyone would do it everyone would do it and and everyone would get to five years 10 years 20 years and then maybe even hand hand over the keys to the business to their children then you have generational businesses which that in itself is even the next level Mm, you know mm. um and i think that that's that's the challenge some people get to a point where they don't want to solve problems anymore and then they either sell their business or throw the towel in whatever it might be I think the driver that I've seen in working with you know, a whole lot of business owners for a you know, long period of time and stuff is the fact that that problem solving, the outcome of that for us is growth, is by solving more problems, we grow, we develop, we become stronger versions of ourselves, those problems become less impactful, we now can deal with the larger problems and then the, the more challenging problems or we start dealing in another area because if we just problem solved like, yep, tick, 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 and didn't progress, I think that would get very tiresome very, very quickly. And so the what I've seen, as I say, is, is that that really drives the growth. The faster you solve the problems, the faster you're going to grow. The faster your team will grow, the faster your business will grow, yep. and you'll move forward. And it's any resistance to that. Like if you just guys went, oh, no, I was asked, we've got these 25,000 cans of beer or 1,000 you know, calendars, you know, we're stuffed and kind of put your hands up in the air. That's very different to going, we've created a problem. This is our fault. We've overstretched. We're better off selling out than trying to perceive we can outsell what we did last year or by a substantial amount. So then focus on just digging your heels back in and go, right, okay, we stuffed up. This We've got this pain period. Let's move through it. What's on the other side of it? But you bounce back substantially more since then, yeah? Oh, totally. Yeah. It's, I mean, and you so- learn some great lessons. Yeah, some massive lessons. And yeah, I think it's probably the, um, the the key thing in retail, but having come into retail, not being retailers, you don't necessarily know what you don't know type of thing. And so it's... Um, well, if you start a business that never existed before you started it, <laughs> there's going to be a fair bit of exploring the unknown <laughs> yeah, as I mean, you go along, right? So that, I mean, one thing, when I look back at the last 10 years, one thing that I think that we probably didn't do early enough and if you're starting out your business, I'd say, get yourself a coach, get yourself a mentor, go and talk to people who have done it before, learn their top five lessons, top three lessons, whatever it might be, see if you can implement them in your business. And then you'll be leaps ahead of someone else that started the same business at the same time that hasn't kind of done that. Speaking my language, I spent 15 years doing it on my own, you know, and I know my dad was trying to serve me when he said, mate, if you want it done right, do it yourself because it'll be cheaper and you'll do it better. I know that was his frame. Dad, dad lessons take a long time yeah, to get over. Do. I was about yeah. in my early to mid thirties <laughs> when I finally got over it. But for fifteen years, I was trying to do it all myself. Yeah. And then it wasn't until I you know, connected with a mentor that then came and bought into my business, and I literally just went and just grew like in my perspective on communication, on psychology, on business, on on every aspect was because they had done it for fifteen years longer than I had, and in the right way, right? Yeah. in a strategic way, in a way they'd been mentored to do. And now suddenly it was like this brand new, it was like I didn't have Google and now I did. You know, it was like, whoa, a whole new world opened up and it changed everything. You know, it really did. How do you think your journey would be, guys, if you weren't together, if just one of you started the business by yourself? I think it'd be very different. I mean, yeah, one thing is, would it have still been around? 
Um, do you think you could have? Like a bit realistically, do you think if you just did it by yourself from the get go, would I don't think so. I, I don't think not. we would have had the sort of energy to yeah. to drive it long enough because being it such a foreign kind of business and, and us sort of creating it along the way, yeah, you definitely need more than one person. And it's one per like you need more than one person. That's a free salary type thing. Could you imagine those times like that you're undersubscribed by a thousand cases of beer, twenty five thousand cans of beer sitting on the shelves? If you didn't have someone to talk to about it, what would that have been like? Do you think? I mean, well, so how much conversation did you have to well, resolve that? I mean, you can always go home. We've got lovely wives that we can go and, yeah. and talk to. The challenge there is that they're not necessarily that they're great listeners, but they're not necessarily in the business understanding what can or can't be done and why or why not. And I think the one thing is, I mean. They always say two heads are better than one, right? So the thinking is kind of going, right, that's that's the problem we have. Everyone come back to the table and say, right, what are some ideas on how we can try and get this number down? Well, to add to what you're saying, Boo, the one thing I hear so often is, oh, no, I'd never get into a partnership. They don't work. That's exactly what I was told before yeah, I went into business. That's right. And the but, same but thing. Pretty much, other than my first you know, foray into a few businesses when I was younger and car washing when I was 13 and all sort of stuff in my parents' driveway, all that sort of stuff. Pretty much every other business I've been into, I've had business partners. Now, yes, I've made some mistakes, but I also have one key business partner that I've had since 2001. I have another one that I've had for 10 years. I've got another two that I've had for eight years, right? Because I started to realize how I could choose the right people because I was choosing them for who they were, not because of how fancy the opportunity looked or how much potential revenue they could bring in or they're a really good salesperson, so they're going to solve all my problems. You know, the grass is greener when they're involved mm. and they turn out to not be. And I mean, that's obviously Bill and I doing the podcast together. It's like, you find great people align yourself with and i want to dispel that story for people listening to the podcast is that it's about the right person if you can find the right personal people then you will amplify your success in a partnership because it's very freaking hard to do it on your own as i say even if you've got wives or husbands they're not in the business they don't have that context and sometimes it's there's certain things you can't really talk about i believe that it's going to you don't, you don't want to bring them. financial pressure no. into your family. No, because it's it start upsetting. You don't want to come home to you and go, oh, guess what? We've got twenty five thousand cans of beer we can't sell. We're really we're really about to go out of business. Yeah. Plus, what, what do you think we kids. should do? Yeah. yeah, and I don't think I can buy nappies this week. You know, so you know, it's, it's like, like sport. And one of the things I've found, particularly with working with small business, large business, and sporting teams, there's so much is in common. It's it's sort of like what happens in the game stays in the game because that's what it is. And even though you're invested in it and everything else, it's your choice. You both chose to embark upon this journey. Your family didn't choose. No one else chose that journey. So when you bring that home, you've got to bring it home in its best light. You, you can't dump everything on, on your partner or on your family, I think. One of the things we also talk about here, guys, on The Few, because you are not only are you the few that managed to sustain a business for 10 years and keep growing, you're also one of the few businesses that's actually growing during COVID. Mm. And not by small numbers, right? How how much have you guys grown so, over the last few months? Yeah, it's uh, it's been pretty crazy the last couple of months. Uh, so we went into March and that's when the sort of lockdown started happening. And so we thought, okay, right, it's, it's time to close our store. Bottle that's shop, the, re the retail store. Yeah, the retail yeah. store. Bottle shops are um, allowed to stay open, but we um, made the, the decision just to close it, just to remove any risk for our team. And it was kind of a good thing we did because we... The last few months, we've been growing about 400% across our two businesses. That's amazing. That's crazy. That's so amazing. It's, Unbelievable. It's, and congratulations, because yeah. you've obviously got a foundation that can can now 
withstand that. Right? Yeah. If you, you, were, to if you were say, though, right? if you were say three or four <laughs> years ago, could you have sustained that sort of growth? Well, it, you know, it, in in compared it, to now, with what you've got, the team you've got, the knowledge you've got. Four hundred percent. That's an amazing number. Think, Even think? now, we um, so it was, it was like our Christmas numbers, and we do planning for Christmas, and all of a sudden we were doing this in COVID, and so it's everything goes out the window. We'd split our team into two groups, so we had half the kind of staff that we had working at any one stage, and we had four times their orders that we were getting through. So we've ended up having to hire, we had seven or eight staff that we had to hire, but we kept on finding, especially in the first um, month or so, it was just so full on that, that you weren't getting ahead and you were just getting behind. Australia Post, their delivery times blew out. So in Sydney, it, it takes normally sort of two to three days for something to get delivered or even quicker. They were going to two weeks. That's crazy. Um, and so we had Unreal. all these customer support inquiries. We had all these orders. We had, it was pretty crazy. And through that, we, we kind of, each time we got together and talked in our Zoom calls and everything, it was how can we try and make things a bit easier? And so we came up with things all along the way on, on how do we do this a bit faster? How can we get, get some gains? And the, the gains that, and the changes that we've done now are actually going to help us throughout the whole business. So, I think we're probably, as far as our sort of um, picking and packing teams, I think we've probably made them 20 to 30% faster just across the board. So that, they'll be for the rest of the year, they'll be 20, 30% faster. That's something I've yeah. seen in you know in the businesses that I work with through my circle program and all sort of stuff is the fact that 90 plus percent of them have, whilst it's still been challenging, they've improved efficiencies, they've improved processes, they've improved methods, they've their teams have either stepped up or stepped out, right? So that the people that really should be there are there. Or you've seen this this ability to, to adapt very quickly because of the sudden additional pressure that's been put on, not just within the business, but on social media, on, on the mainstream media, you know, the community pressure, like going out there, you can't avoid it. You can see that there's a lineup for Woolies and you've got to stand, you know, a metre and a half away and all this other, other stuff that's going on. It's a great opportunity for disruptors, isn't it? It I is. Mean, for small oh, business is. entrepreneurs, I mean, yep. it's a great opportunity. Yep. And, and things that are opening up, like a, a good friend of mine who's up in Darwin, he, he had one of the, the main pubs and two restaurants on the waterfront. So three premises, right? And I think it was 90 something people he had to let go in one day because they shut it all down, right? What he did was within two days, he'd pivoted one of his restaurants to making fresh pasta and sauces and selling it. Then he managed to get it into the prison and the hospital or something. And I, I rang him once and he said, I've just picked up my little posty bike that's our delivery vehicle, right? <laughs> to go and deliver it. And then he set up a little, because some shop went out of business in the near the Coles or the IGA or something. And he set up a little stall in the shop, like a temporary shop where you could buy it and you could buy pizzas and take them home and cook them. And so he, and he goes, if I can make this work, I'm not over my restaurants again. It's so much easier. <laughs> but he did. He's open. He's reopened again now. But um, but to see the the adaptation of you know of what a I suppose a crisis or a and I'm I'm talking in a broader sense. Obviously, for you guys, the crisis was how do we deal with all these new sales? But for, in the case of the broader sense, you know, when there's a disruption or there's there's an interruption, there's a change, there's a substantial impact in the way people are looking at things, buying things, or whatever. You have to adapt quickly. You have to pivot the way you think about things you have to go well we can't keep doing it the way we did it because we're just not going to survive there has to be a better way and you find it don't you you find it somehow yeah, oh, and, yeah. i mean the biggest thing is it was instant right so prime minister said right everyone stay at home if you don't have to go out so then everyone went okay we're going to buy online everything yeah. right Except yeah, i'm for, not going to get a forex i'm going to get something yeah, different because yeah, well, i've, I've got to like, fill my life with some sort of joy or something different don't yeah I? yeah and and so it's just going right okay so that's the new normal 
how do you adapt to that? And like Richard was saying, so 400%, but that wasn't 400% over 12 months. That was 400% in a week yeah. that we basically kind of exploded. So <laughs> it's going, right, something's got to change or something's going to break. And how important is that? We, we call them the SLJs, the shitty little jobs. How important during that growth and running your business is it to get the small things right? The bits of the small amounts of detail, the way you process an order. How yeah. important is that to your business to oh, get those right, to nail the shitty little jobs? It's massive. I mean, I think you always need consistency. And if you, with that consistency drives efficiency type thing. And when we first split into two teams, we were having these different meetings and we kept on sort of running into challenges because there were things that were being done a little bit differently across the different teams and there'd be this and that and it, it was amazing just it took us a good three to four weeks just to find the flow to be able to then sort of get back on top but it's getting those little things right that then helps make everything else go well type thing and if you don't get those right you're screwed so with the journey right the journey to get to where you guys are now um what do you believe has been the biggest reward for that right so you put in especially in the first few years, you know, one of you still working, one taking a deposit and injecting it in the business, you know, sleepless nights. All the pain. Know, all, all the pain, pain, all the stuff that we've all gone through as business owners, right? And I'll ask you guys one at a time. Jeff, what is it for you? What's the, what makes what's the biggest while? payoff? What's made it like, you know, giving you that sense of satisfaction and why you feel successful now? Yeah, I guess one is that it's our, it's our ship and we're steering it. You know, so it's, it's the decisions we make are the decisions that Richard and I make collectively and we can decide on the path that we actually want to kind of take and where we want to innovate to or where we want to take the business to has allowed us to um, purchase another existing business that is the Bruquet business that we purchased two years ago. And fundamentally, we've got our own jobs that put food on the table for the family and, and a roof over the head. So you kind of think, right, that... In control of your own destiny. Exactly. That's, yeah. that's pretty cool. Fantastic. Right, so we'll. Uh, you got to try and better that. I kind of often look at the point of view of where would I be if I'd stayed in a sort of corporate world instead of going into to my own business. And, and I think now we're kind of at a stage where we're kind of saying, well, we're basically on par, and so we're not any worse off. And we've actually done that through off our own bat. And anything now is actually going to accelerate yep. rather than just kind of being at the sort of plateau that we would Do have Do you honestly life. believe though, Richard, that you could have stayed in a corporate job? Uh, was there something burning? <laughs> was there something burning inside? I, I think I've always, I've gone through, while I've had long-term jobs, I've done lots of different things in my life and I've had lots of different businesses. So I think, yeah, like Jeff, I, I probably had my first business or business idea when I was about 13 and I used to go to sleep at night and every night I'd be thinking a new business idea. How would this work? What about what would, if I scaled it up? Type yeah. And you have these, these great ideas. So I, can I make okay, a robot that so can do all my school exams <laughs> for me? Right. Oh, I'm not, so I'm not that weird then. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah. Because exactly what I was thinking too at that age. So one of the things I always ask before we get to the wrap-up stage is, which we alluded to a little bit earlier, if you could take one piece of advice and go back to, you know, a younger version of yourself, you know, whatever, whatever you the think. The day like, you ten, first had that day, conversation day had that, with each yeah, other. The idea of going, like where, the, where the, the actual sprout happened, you know, in the business. If you could take yourself back to there and give you one the piece of advice. That, that's well, it, that's where's, it. What fertilizer would but you throw What would you give to yourself? What message would you send to yourself? Oh, it's tough. I kind of have two. I think review and refine. So one of the things that we've kind of learned from Boo is, is looking back and actually doing a review of what things worked well and what needs to be improved so that you can sort of grow in that regard. Yep. 
I think that's huge. And if you're doing that constantly, you're just upscaling the whole time. So that and talking to people and talking to experts and, and getting other ideas. And yeah, yeah th- those two things for me. So review and refine and yep. get support from people who know more than you do. Exactly. Fantastic. Yeah. And mine was just around coaching and mentoring. Yep. So really the sooner you can do that, and that could just be a conversation with another business owner, yep. right? That, that's been in business for five years or... Mm. If you've got a, a plumbing business and you've got someone that's been in, in doing plumbing for 20 or 30 years, come and talk to that person. Because it's kind of lonely, isn't it? There's very few people in a business that understand the challenges you face every day. Especially your friends. Like You've got friends, but if, if they're just working and they've got their, their normal jobs, they've got no idea of how sort of business works and that you are 24-7. That kind of mindset is just people don't know what you kind of go through and, and the pain and lack of funds that you go through and, and the time that you have to give up on social it's a bit, occasions. Bit alienating, kind of, it's, almost like, it's almost like a PTSD where you find yourself at a barbecue and you're like, no one gets me. <laughs> <laughs> but at least we had good beer. Yeah, exactly. yeah. 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 To drown your sorrow. I don't have that. I need, to work on, <laughs> we need to work on that. I need to work on that. Fantastic. Well, I think I want to say a massive, humongous thank you to you, both of you guys. You know, it's a, the journey's you know one of, I'm going to say a common story for the few. Like it's not a common story in business. I think the people are starting and doing it, but that grit, that determination to keep going despite all odds to actually push through to, you know, have a sounding board and create a strong relationship in business is, is I think that's a testament to each of you and what you stand for and the fact that you've got this massive, massive passion for what you do. And I just love talking to people and seeing people create that success, do it on their own terms, you know, and really I feel energized. Kind of just, I, I yeah. feel like tomorrow is going to be a great could day. Be the, could be the beers. Just, just shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's probably but, a good but, point. That is a very good point. Because I think I've finished that one, but yeah. we're going to try some- We uh, didn't even get onto the non-alcoholic free, ones. Yeah, yeah. I call free beers shortly, but but that's it's such an inspirational story to to take. And it was one of the things that you say, Boo, is, you know, it's like at one point you were on the other side of that window looking at people that had that success, right? You're looking going, how does someone create a business like that? How does someone do that? It's like- Oh my goodness. But what it takes is it takes grit, takes determination, consistency, uh, being a bit of sucker for punishment, you know, and, and, but getting up and doing it again. And so, you know, any final thoughts for our listeners from today's podcast? No, I don't, don't have anything massive. I, I think one of the things we always looked through was during those challenging times, Jeff would often say, there's a lot of people out there that are absolutely crap at business and how are they surviving? And we're doing it tough. And, I think when you flip that on the head, you kind of go, well, we are, we do things a little bit smarter. We do things where we can sort of drive ourselves. So in time. And you know what, we're, mate? We're, they're <laughs> saying exactly the same thing about you. They're going, how does those guys do it so easy? This, I got no idea. Exactly. So, I mean, yeah, there, there are tough times. I think you've got to celebrate those wins that you get along the way. And as you go further and further into the journey, then you get more and more wins. So it's yep. it's getting through those challenges and, and you come out gold on the other side type thing. Fantastic. Any final thoughts, Jeff? Um, if you are looking to launch a business or you are in business, one of the key things, so I've harped on about the mentoring thing, but it's just education. So learning and you talk, Sean, about kind of solving one problem and you get to the next one. It's like stepping stones, right? So if you look at problem solving as a stepping stone to the ultimate goal, whatever that might be, whether that's a million dollars in the bank or buying a new house or selling your business, then that's the key to continuing to get out of bed and, and getting on with things. Oh, the solutions are effectively like one step on that march. Exactly. Them. So the next problem is the next step. And the more the faster you can get through them, 
the faster you but get to your destination. Each of those problems is like you put something in your education bank. You know yep. what I mean? It's just like you go, right, now I've learned that next time I come across this, this is how we solve it. Yep. And then you can decide whether you systemize that or you palm it off to someone else to do. But ultimately, it's like, so you're educating yourself the whole way. And like Richard's saying is, you know, had we stayed in corporate, we'd be at a certain level. Now we're kind of at the exact same level we would be if we were still in, in corporate. Yet we've got this whole education of 10 years yep. that you wouldn't necessarily get if you're in, in the corporate world. I have a feeling that you guys are just warming up. So <laughs> yeah. I'm looking forward I, to seeing I, I where it goes from here. And look, obviously, uh, during COVID, if you're looking for some inspiration or to get the ideas flowing, uh, beercartel.com.au, uh, get yourself into one of the thousands of beers that Rich and Jeff are distributing. Or if you're looking for a gift for someone else, uh, Brouquet, Google it. A wonderful idea to uh, gift. There's no better gift in life than alcohol, really, is there? Or, or a beer, if you're, a, if you're that way inclined. Thanks to our partners, Momentum Media, momentummedia.com.au, one of Australia's largest industry publishers, ICMI for their wonderful speakers, icmi.com.au. If you're interested in the review process that the guys are talking about, well, that's Afterburner Specialty if you're outside Australia, afterburner.com, or put a .au on it if you're inside Australia. And you're looking for mentors, you're looking to find that community of like-minded people, then Sean... Uh, Sewell's inner circle uh, might be uh, the place for you. Rich, Jeff, thank you guys so much for coming in. A, it's just great to reconnect and B, even better to see uh, you're riding this massive wave of success. So thanks a lot. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. This has been The Few Podcast with Boo and Sean. If you've got value from this episode and you would like to support us, please share it with your friends. If you're posting this on social media, use the hashtag The Few so we can see who's listening. The Few Podcast is recorded at Momentum Media in Sydney, Australia. To listen to more episodes, visit us at fewpodcast.com and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Dream big, keep pushing, and one day you can become one of the few. We'll see you next week.